Hi, all you teenage comet zombies. This is Kelly Maroney, and you're listening to Scott and Liam versus Evil. <laughs> Do you hear that's a pal, Kelly? Aye. I'm, I'm good friend, Kelly. <laughs> yeah. um, that was Kelly Maroney. You'll know her from Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Night of the Comet, and the movie we're going to talk about today, which Zero is Boys. The Zero Boys from 1986. And if you stick around to, like, towards the end of the show, we've got an interview with Kelly herself. Quite an interesting interview. We've levelled up as podcasts. We have definitely <laughs> levelled up. Zero Boys was released in 1986. It's directed by Nico Masterakis, who a lot of people know from directing Islands of Death, one of the kind of pinnacle video nasties. I didn't really enjoy it, to be honest, but I know a lot of folk did. I've not seen it. It's... But I might try and see it. I like to watch things that's been banned before, and like, I kind of, it piques my interest. It wasn't released in the UK and cut until 2011, when Arrow released it, like, well, the, the same way Zero Boys, when they're doing other brilliant Blu-ray yeah. releases. Uh, it's about a guy and a woman posing as newlyweds, go to, like, a Greek island, and then just start murdering everyone that they think's perverse or sinful. It's decent, but it's, uh, it's the same as most of the video nasties where you either love them or hate them. Yeah. Kind of fell flat. So, Zero Boys, uh, for a group of young friends, a weekend of survival games in the wilderness turns into a genuine battle of life and death when one of their number turns up dead. Finding themselves hunted by a bloodthirsty band of maniacs intent on slaughtering them one by one, the self-styled Zero Boys must now play their war games for real. And that's taken from the back of your Blu-ray DVD. Yeah. I got See where it starts, you know, they're, they're doing their paintball weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to begin with, like, unless you read the back, you're watching it, they kind of still act as if it's real. Uh, they're using yeah, you feel like it as an actual war. The it's like actual yeah. blood. They're running about, there's a lot of fucking explosives going off running about the other, like the, the ground <laughs> blowing up running about them. It's like, that's proper. It's war, Scott. That's war. I, I went to paintball before, and the worst I got was <laughs> split my thingy up the crotch. <laughs> <laughs> I was hiding the whole time. We played like six games, and I was I was feared to be shot with a paintball, so I just hid and shot all my paintballs and blew them, flew my load in one go. It's <laughs> just such as life. There was one I was hiding behind a bus, and my arm was sticking. I get shot, and I thought, well, that was sore, but it wasn't that bad. So then, for then on, I thought I was Rambo, and I was running about the park, and I slipped it, and I skidded, ripped my my overalls up the crotch, hiding behind this wee bit of wood, and then I get shot through the bit of wood. I hit my face mask but I hit me in the, like, the breathing guard and all the oily pavement and I was just like I couldn't see it and I was like this is this is terrible I don't, I've done it twice though. once me and my brother went with folk that worked for my dad and we came, after you get shot you meant to put your hand up and walk out well I get shot and put my hand up and all of them just turned on me <laughs> and just fucking assaulted me with paintballs it was, to be honest it's tantamount to bullying <laughs> <laughs> I, it's pretty fun though I would still go back and do it yeah. especially if it looked as real as this huh? apart from the Nazi well they kind of <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they do what I've seen, see like up the back of where my mum stays up Marlton mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's apparently there's airsoft I don't know how official it is but it, up in the park or in the in the woods and it's they do airsoft and airsoft guns obviously come with and they will, you know you need to have a licence I think to have these guns but they come in the, the like the actual replicas of all yeah, the real guns. guns and uh, they would have like Fun up in the woods. Airsoft's meant it's meant to actually be quite so. You can get snipers and they aim for see like your kind of sensitive skin between like your thumb and your finger. They aim for in there and it, it breaks the skin. Really? And you actually feel it. It's quite sadistic. I know. And especially so, like, every now and again I would see like these guys walking up the street outside my mum's house and camouflage <laughs> walking up the up the park and like, fucking they <laughs> I think it's must have been the airsoft, 
A lot is Allen. There's a good chance it's real guns. A little known fact: the opening score to the Zero Boys was Hans Zimmer's first score for a American film. Oh really? And he then done Rain Man two years after this. It's a good film. Rain Man's a brilliant film. We should do an episode on Rain Man. I know it's not horror, but I fucking love it. What difference does it make? Where are you buying underwear? I'm not going to get Tom Cruise impression. Was that? I thought I thought it was Dustin Hoffman. Zero Boys. I only heard about it when you told me about it and gave me the DVD. Yeah. It was good. It kind of mixes B movie horror with B movie action. And actually, it does it quite well. Yeah. Some I think throughout it, the the build up of the characters falls a bit flat like the script goes too quickly uh-huh. just to get through it yeah. the killers at the end you don't really know anything about them the whole way through what their motivation is or why they're even I, I didn't know if that was because they're trying to keep an eye on the suspense or just like because it is, it's moving too fast because they wanted to or because these kids had like stolen their cabin for the weekend just like jumped in and started eating the food it's another thing why would you just steal a cabin <laughs> <laughs> you just would not go in and just like start helping yourself to everybody so um, I, I think we should, we should jump back to the start again and mm-hmm. just mention the fact that when they are fighting you've got the Zero Boys who are dressed in like army camo and like you had just said there the other team are dressed as Nazis <laughs> <laughs> the, the one guy comes dressed as Hitler <laughs> he's getting a moustache and when I watched that I thought why every movie we watch first podcast is there just some sort of Nazi reference just Shoehorned into it. It's it's like we're sourcing it out. It's like we're doing it purposely. <laughs> <laughs> but the zero boys then win the kind of the scuffle or yeah. the the war, and showing real progression and uh, <laughs> sexuality, they win Kelly Maroney in a bit, <laughs> who then goes off with them for a weekend of fun games. And that's the thing about this movie. It seems progressive in the way that all the like the bimbos and all the other girls in it all keep their tops on, whereas the eighties it's usually any excuse yeah, for tits. Just secret, yeah. But they keep them on, so you think, oh, this movie's quite progressive. Then they win Kelly Maroney in a bet, which is gender politics gone wild. Yeah. But then she well, when she finds that out, she kind of tells the Nazi just to go and fuck yourself, really, and then. Aye. Essentially, she decides to go with them. I mean, nobody actually like, ties her up and forces her to go with them. She yeah, it's, to a, it's her own decision. Uh, she, but she decides to get in the uh, truck, which is like the worst health and safety I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> there's no seatbelts, there's no roof, they're just kicking about the back, jumping about the back of this truck, just driving up the street. I'm like, with guns. With guns, guns in the back. Uh, and Kelly also plays quite a strong, ballsy character, the same as in Night of the Comet, which again, maybe that's progressive. Well, I think it is, and I think like it's, it's been mentioned uh, before and uh, by, by Kelly. Like you've got as you run through the, the timeline, you've obviously got Ripley acting it in the very late seventies as a female lead, and then you've mm-hmm. got the movies that, like say Kelly was in, being a strong female character in them as well. While they were still happening, you've also it's a, a kind of dip, and through the nineties there was you had the damsel in distress and the bimbo, but there was also there were still characters still there, but mm-hmm. you know now two thousand sixteen is definitely at the forefront of you know quality and. But, you know, it still happens. You're still getting airbrushed posters of yeah. the girl in the front hugging the hero for survival or keep betting still getting her chest enhanced for underworld, you know, with her or, or say. Or uh, Megan Trainor. It's a video being touched up to make her look less heavy than she is. And then going mental at a record company. And then pretending that whole thing isn't a massive publicity. Yeah. Fucking Megan Trainor. See, I listened to her and I really <laughs> wanted to say she seemed like such an arsehole. And I thought, you know what, I don't believe anything you say. Well, so Megan's not going to come on here for an interview then. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Although I do, I do push for 
I think we're actually we're coming across as quite a gender equal podcast. Apart from the odd stupid comment we make as a joke that maybe comes across <laughs> as quite misogynistic. <laughs> uh, we're fighting for the rights of all. Yeah. Free the nipple. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually like I thought the movie was very nicely shot. Late eighties steady cam. Mm-hmm. I thought it was nicely done. There's a lot of scenes in it that it could it could pass as an an, an A movie. It's supposed to be a B movie. Yeah. But no, I did. I, I thought I really I did enjoy it. Yeah. And then it does like obviously step up the game to the then it becomes like your obviously your action movie when uh, the guys are starting like taking them out. There's mm-hmm. some good, there are some good scenes. It's like almost it reminds you like a, a couple of different things. There's some scenes that reminiscent of like Friday the Thirteenth, um, when like like he's in the bathroom and grabs the girl and you know, kind of mm-hmm. that way through the shortcut and there's some jumpy slashing movement. It was filmed yeah. the same location as Friday 13th Part 3. Oh, really? Yeah, well, Topanga okay. Canyon. That's probably why. So, we've got to start paintballing for female prizes. You've already discussed your paintballing escapades. Yes. Did you, I would, you play paintball? No, I'd fucking imagine having a... Alright, okay, not that I want to win women <laughs> playing paintball, but maybe as a young boy that would be ideal. Whereas I just end up with a bruised ass. Couldn't sit down for weeks. Well, it sounds as if you won uh, <laughs> a big <bit> fair. <laughs> Maybe I was the prize for paintball. <laughs> There's a scene when they get into the bathroom near the start, or they start, when they, not near the start, sorry, when they're in the cabin, they start to think shit's going on. So they get into the bathroom and there's a light bulb just swinging wildly. Yeah. Like, it's just going crazy, but there's no window. Why is that light bulb swinging wildly? I know you don't know this I'm no, just I, don't, I, don't know. <laughs> I just can you remember the scene but it's, they walk in and it's just kind of yeah, as yeah. if it's like meant to be spookily waving but it's as if someone just fucking tugged at it <laughs> and then just left it going that's just fell on its arse so just no, leave it no, it's, no it is it's one of those things that like maybe it seemed when, you, when they're doing the filming and they wanted to create that kind of maybe the shaking light or just that air of suspense or maybe like even just to suggest that the guys had been in there and knocked it beforehand like because like uh, yeah maybe actually but when you watch it, it stands out to you. Like, it's, it's, a, it's just a robotic you light. Know, and you think, well, why is that? That doesn't really fit. Mm. And it takes my, it ends my suspension of disbelief because it takes me back out of the movie. Ah, uh, my suspension, my suspension of disbelief was ended when the Nazi came out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, hey, this is not a modern war anymore. <laughs> the line, let's go into a dark room and see what develops. I quite like that. Uh, I said earlier, it keeps the killers pretty secret the whole way through. What do you think? I think is it a lack of character building or is it to create the mystery? Do you think the script just moves too quickly that they've not got time to go? This is what's wrong yeah, with this guy. Your and... whole big massive opening scene it takes up your time and you've got moving into the, the cabin and then it does take a kind of before you start to get them picking them off. And if I'm right and say because it was a wee while ago I watched this and uh, I I didn't even take any notes because I didn't know where we would fit this. Then I stole a DVD for you. <laughs> yeah, but um. I might there's quite a lot of them that make it to the end. There's more than normal. Usually in these kind of movies it'd be one that makes it to the end, but there's two or three, is that right? Aye, I think at the very, very end it's just Daniel Huss and Kelly Maroney left, but the rest of the cast survive quite a lot of the way through it. it the killers are useless. How I many? There's three of them, isn't there? Is that right? There's I can only remember seen seeing two, two but two there might be three. I mean, don't ever find out what what they are or why they're Do you really find out their names on IMDb? It, it, it lists their names, but you don't find out throughout the film the kids happened upon the cabin by accident did they not yeah so what were they waiting for were they, are they waiting to do this all the time or, I mean I take it they're just murderous bastards they're just raging that you're, you're in my cabin I'd yeah. probably raging if somebody was in my house as well I suppose would you, would you set them up to kill I them I would hide in the water with harpoons and just 
come out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Do you know one of them's actually Emilio Estevez's uncle? Charles Sheen's uncle? No shit. Is he called Estevez? Joe Estevez. So he kept his name? Is he the, the, like, the basically the killer right at the end? The one that's in the water and Aye. she puts the taser in? That's Emilio Estevez. It's Martin Sheen's little brother. Alright. Joe Estevez. How long was he getting electrocuted for? I, I think know, he would I... usually like, just be like, I'm dead, but he was getting shocked for about a good 10 minutes. It was like 25,000 volts, plus he was submerged <laughs> in water, and he was... Sta- but he's an Estevez. They can withstand s- severe troubles. <laughs> severe, severe body abuse, as, uh, <laughs> as Charlie has shown us. When they find the girl, they, they move the trunk to the door to try to block it. They start realising that shit's hitting the fan. Yeah. And the girl goes, oh, this is a bit heavy. And then they look at each other and you think, oh, there's something in the case. Oh, what's it going to be? And it turns out it's this lassie. The face of the lassie is so blasé. <laughs> she's just in the case like, oh, I'm dead. <laughs> there's, she's, she's so smiley and just, I can't imagine being here. <laughs> like, uh, annoyed me. And I, well, as I was saying, it's like things like that that's, that point out and, and take away from the movie. It's like, you notice them. But damn it. Those, it, she was an ex. She was one of the actual group, wasn't she? Yeah, I think she was. She yeah. was the one in the video. See when they go into the garage and see the TV set up, yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of torture. Right. And again, Daniel Hurst as uh, Steve is so wooden. The whole three through it, he just says all these things like they get to blood and he goes, ah, oh, this looks like blood. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, this looks like a torture chamber. Yep. <laughs> And I've got down here as well where they're about to go in and they've got the gun and Rip, the guy who looks at Screech from Saved by the Bell, mm-hmm. the gun, and Daniel Hurst turns around and he's like, that's a real weapon. This isn't a game anymore. <laughs> oh, th- thanks, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> for thanks for telling us that. <laughs> do you know Screech is back in jail again? Is he? Yeah. What would they do this time? Uh, holding, um, holding weapons and fighting somebody, I think. Fucking hell, man. What happened to him? I don't know. And also, Zach has now got black hair. And a beard. Did you do that clickbait that thing? That just came up. I, 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 you won't believe what Zach Morris looks like now. I, like, hardly oh. recognisable. He just has black hair and a beard. He's just uh, changed his hair for a role. Very good. He was still doing shit quite recently. He was doing that lawyer programme on E4. Well, it's, it's a new film. He's got to be in called Pitch, where a woman plays for the major league because she's developed a unique pitch. And uh, he's the, the coach or something, the army vet who coaches her or encourages her to go for the major league. Why is he an army vet? Because I think he does like a kind of community baseball team thing and he says you should go for the major leagues and she says uh, no I can't because that's just for guys and he says well have you never seen rookie of the year even kids can play in the major league so go for it you know equality that sounds alright well I don't know if it's coming out for movies or if it's coming for TV or when it's coming out but that's what I read Mm. clickbait Sue in it one of the the three lassies has broke her leg Uh why she's broke her leg I don't know there's no point to it but just to make things difficult she climbs. She goes to climb the stairs and she crawls up the wall <laughs> trying to get up the stairs. There's a fucking banister there and she just doesn't use it. Well, see, it's, it's almost like, it's like Darwin, Darwin Awards, isn't it? It's like evolution of the survival yeah. of the fittest, you know? You know, if that's how you're right climb up the stairs, then, well, you know, maybe you deserve to be. See, since my foot, I've been climbing up the stairs on all fours and it's fucking brilliant. <laughs> you get up quicker, it doesn't hurt, and if I was up the stairs, they think some scary's coming up. <laughs> how do you come back down the stairs? I'm a bum. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bum. I mean, obviously I mentioned it last week. You've well, mentioned it, like, daily, <laughs> constantly. Can't wait to fucking heels up, man. Anyway, for those that don't have me on Facebook, <laughs> I have a deep partial thickness bun, which, and uh, I'm ready to say this on Facebook, but again, fuck you, Scott. <laughs> the, a boo-boo. As far as degrees, if they were Pokemon, I would be Charmeleon. 
just before he turned to Charizard, <laughs> Charizard's always a third degree burn. Yeah. I am the worst of a second. I thought it was quite funny when you wrote that, when the doctor poked it. A blaze. He poked it with a needle just to see how deep it was. Aye, well, that's what they do. But it was actually, it was a medical student there, and the doctor was like, oh, so how would you test for how deep the burn is? And the guy was like, over oh, my finger. And I went, I fucking hope that's not the right answer. <laughs> he's like, no, it's actually with a needle. No, back to the finger, <laughs> back to the finger. So because of that, I have been on painkillers all week, and that explains why I'm crawling up the stairs in all fours. Just try it. Honestly, it's quite fun. Somet- I think, sometimes I think I do. Just go I just put my first. hands down and like kept myself. You used to do it when you were younger, like yeah. if you went downstairs in the middle of the night in the kitchen, and then because you're coming back up the stairs in the dark, you're you'd scared. Be, aye, you'd run up and all fours aye, just to get away from it. It's like your backside runs faster than your body. Aye. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing now, just for just for life. <laughs> not for the funny. Just, well, actually, yeah, it's quite enjoyable. <laughs> the yeah, I'm not really getting our notes. Scott. Is that digression? Yeah, I kind of I kind of fucked your notes up by. Stealing your movie and not letting you watch it. Again. No, sorry, uh, <laughs> but I no, I thought it was uh, Zero Boys. I did enjoy. Um, we with the Brinksy, we got it and watched it because we had um, been talking with Kelly Maroney and we looked up her IMDb yeah. and seen this movie was there and we thought, well, we'll get that soon. Our, our old Blu-ray release, so we'll grab it and give it a watch. Um, in terms of movies that we've discussed, Night the Comet, Chopping Mall, and Zero Boys, mm-hmm. I think that order that I just gave them in is the order I would rate them in. Yeah. Night the Comet, Chop Mall, Zero Boys. I, I actually really liked her role in Zero Boys because she was at the forefront. She has like one of the main leads yeah. in Zero Boys. Whereas the other two, oh, to be honest, Night of the Comet. Yeah, just rubbish that, what I just said. No, I, I, no, I don't know what you mean though, because obviously, because like, Night of the Comet is all its two co leads, it's, it starts round about um, mm-hmm. Catherine Mary Stewart's character, Regina, and it kind of follows her. And then she follows all her background and her boyfriend and her job and everything. And then. Um, and it brings her in. So I no but it's chop more chop more. It's not as as lead a role, it's but a group as a Chotmore, as a full yeah. enjoyable movie. But she's the, yeah, she's the she's the final girl. Chop more. She makes it to the end. Mm-hmm. Wins. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's the order I put them in. Uh, Nate the comet. Chop more. Um, and Zero Boys. And Chop more is getting its own Blu-ray release, which we I think we're discussing the interview coming up. Uh, but I'll give Zero Boys a six Nazi paintballers out of ten. I'm going to give it a five. Five. I liked what it did. It's just some of the character development kind of got me. Yeah. But it, it just it, it fell flat in places. Still enjoyable though. And Kelly Maroney's still a babe in it. Yeah. And speaking of Kelly Maroney, as Scott said, we've upped our podcast game. We managed to sit down and have an interview with her, which we'll get to now. Within this interview, we asked a question about guns. This question was written before the recent Orlando shooting and it was intended to shed light on the magic of cinema and show the tricks used to make what we see on the screen realistic and believable. We do not condone gun violence and we stand with everyone affected in this recent tragedy, as we do with any past needless loss of life. We left the question in as it spawned real-life debate wherein we all agreed that something has to change. Hello, Kelly. Yes, oh, thank God. I thought, oh, no, they're going to leave. This is the third time. Okay, hi. Hi, how are you? So glad to actually I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, we're good. Thanks. Hi, Kelly. I'm Liam. Hi, Liam. Uh, nice so, to meet you. Yeah, you too. Two okay. of the biggest movies, Night of the Comet and Chopping Mall, feature strong female characters. Were you right. aware of the significance of this role at the time? And do you think characters have progressed in movies from the damsel in distress to the ass-kicking types that you portrayed? Well, you know... Uh, I didn't really appreciate. I mean, I appreciated it. I thought it was great. But when I started, I had a real strong character on on the daytime television show that I did here, Ryan Soap. And then I got 
these other strong parts. And so I thought, oh, this is great. I thought this was always going to be like this. I really didn't understand that a lot of times I was going to, you know, it was going to be, well, there's one role in here for a woman, and she's the girlfriend, and she doesn't really do anything. So, boy, was I in for a shock, you know. I was just merrily rolling along, like, this is a great part, and this is a great part. So, <laughs> um, I, I didn't really, you know, I mean, it just, I was really lucky I hit that sweet spot right there when they were writing parts like that, you know, and, and I came along at the right time. And then um, um, it, it wasn't always like that. I was, I was very surprised. And they just kind of stopped writing it for a while. And I can't really put my finger on exactly why that was. But I think that, I mean, you, you can't say that they're not writing them anymore. I've been thinking about it, you know, Katniss. And, um, you know, they are coming back along. And even in the 90s, you know, they had Buffy the Vampire Slayer on television. I mean, you know, the first female heroines were in, you know, in silent movies. There was a, it was a comedy about some, about a woman. I wish I could think of the name of it. And all she did was run around and she was just walking around living her life and stuff would happen and she would kick butt. And that was the whole thing. And they did a serial of that. So um, I'm proud to be in that line of, of movies, you know, because I don't play the victim very well. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's boring, and I really hate it. You know, I try to figure out anytime I get an opportunity, I try to make find all the places where she can be a butt kicker. So I'm really glad that I, that that they that they're not going to go away entirely. But uh, I did hit into a really lucky time, and um, I and, hope and, it continues. Yeah. I'm seeing it coming back. We can't really say that it's not. I mean, there there are some, and they're you know with the female Ghostbusters now and. Things like that. They're really making a strong effort to bring it back. What do you I think, think about the female Ghostbusters? What are you excited well, for it? Mm, I don't know. I hope it's funny. I hope it. Yeah, I, I'm sure it will be funny. I think yeah, it's it is. Some strong comedian comedians in that it, lineup. But it'll... It, it's going to have to be. Um, yeah. I think why not? You know, I mean, I think that the that the old cast embraced it and is really really supportive. And I understand when people are. Nobody likes a remake of any kind. I hate remakes. So it's not because they're female this time. It's because why remake stuff, you know? Well, can come up with a new idea. <laughs> but, speak, speaking, you of know. Remakes, uh, speaking of remakes, what is your opinion on the Chopping Mall remake that seems to have been milling around for a while? Well, that's, you know, they really tried hard with that. What, what that is, it's not a Chopping Mall remake. Roger Corman licensed them the the title because it was built in publicity. Every you know, Chopping Mall to this day, when you put it on the internet, gets a ton of hits, and so they were taking advantage of the t- name of the, of the iconic title. But it wasn't going to be about you know robots in a mall or anything like that. It was going to be kids in a mall, but it was a super, it was the story was you know completely different. So it wasn't really a remake, and so you know Jim and I said that. And, then, and I think that the people that were going to do it had some sort of, were very defensive about it. Um, but Roger had leased them the, the title for that. I don't know what, if anything's ever going to happen with it. Um, but I don't, I don't think the reception was, was too hot. I think that kind of backfired on them anyway. We'll see what happens, you know. If it moves forward, it moves forward. But it's not, there's not one single robot in it. They never approached any of us to be part of it. So... I'm assuming that they that they're just using the title yeah. to get internet hits. A remake which, of you know, without uh, robots just doesn't seem worth it. No, I know, and 
I know. It's the, the whole thing is the title, and that springs from the fact that when the movie, when our movie, Chopping Mall, was uh, first out, they called it Killbot. First they called it Robot. Then they called it Killbots, and it, the title wasn't happening, and all this thing with foreign sales and with, you know, distribution and all that, most of it is a catchy title at first. So you can sell a lot of things on a catchy title, and they came up with that because of the fact that the other titles weren't selling. So Chopping Mall was something that Roger Corman knows is going to get hits yeah. <laughs> on the Internet. And so I guess he just said, why don't you use that? And I don't know if it, you know, if in the end it's going to, it's not a remake. Let's the, just put it that way. The, uh, is the original uh, Chopping Mall is getting a, a Blu-ray release, is that right? Yep, it sure is. They're in the process of putting the goodies together right now. Brilliant. And, yeah, Brilliant. I know, it's about <laughs> time. It's really about time. Yep. You know, with some of these old movies in the 80s, the rights got fragmented. So this happened with Night of the Comet, too. You know, somebody, nobody could figure out who had the rights to the music or who had the rights to foreign or who had, you know, the rights to television. They were just, because they were bought and sold so many times, that it was confusing. And that's what took so long with Night of the Comet. So in this case, um, apparently Lionsgate had owned... They figured out Lionsgate owned the rights to the DVD and Blu-ray, and so once they got that sorted out, then uh, it, I, we thought we thought it was just Roger because we Roger owns the movie, so we thought for a long time Roger didn't want to make a a DVD or something. No one could figure that out why, and that wasn't the case. It was because I mean it's not like Roger Corman did not want to you know celebrate one of his movies, <laughs> so it didn't make any sense. And come to find out, it was Lionsgate had the rights, and so. Um, it's them that's putting the DVD up. I mean, the Blu-ray. I'm excited to see so, the head explosion in high def. Oh, I know. Well, I saw a restored version out here. It really, really, really looks good. It looks like we shot it yesterday. Um, and I'm sure that now that it's Blu-ray, it's really going to be something. I think people are really going to be happy with it. And I'm glad because everybody's been waiting such a long time for it. Yeah, Definitely. So it's. I mean, who knew it was going to be such a, a loved movie when we did it? You know, we're, we're just having fun. I, we didn't ever stop to think. You know what? In in 2016, people are going to. We would have passed out. We would not have believed it. Are you Are you surprised yourself with how much yes. staying power like Night of the Comet and Chopping Mall has? Well, I I am because you know I was just a kid. I was new in town, and you know. Every time I, I would get something, I would think, okay, good, my rent is paid, and this is a really, this will be a really fun thing. And, you know, nobody will ever see this, because I still wanted to be Betty Davis when I grew up. But nobody will ever see this. This will come and go, but it'll be fun, and I'll meet people, and I'll make my rent, and everything will be fine. And <laughs> I had no idea. And, you know, thank God for me, because um, they, I guess it has to do with the Internet and with the... But the thing with Night of the Comet, how that got, it was all the... Um, when cable TV came in, they replayed it over and over and over. So, all that you, you know, you, if you, most people didn't see it in the theater. People will say, "Oh, I saw it in the theater," but mainly people saw it on, you know, cable TV. So, with the advent of that, and then with the internet, all that stuff was able to become. I didn't even know people knew those movies, <laughs> and so I started to get letters going. Oh, you know, I love this, and you were my babysitter, and. And I took a, uh, the first time I took a bus to see a movie was it was for Chopping Mall. I had no idea 
you know, and I never, I wouldn't to this day. I wouldn't be talking to you, for sure, you know. Or maybe, I don't know, but it would have been much more difficult. <laughs> right? But much more of a, of a coincidence. So um, I, I just, uh, no, I had no idea. Absolutely none. I didn't know about Fast Times. I didn't know. I didn't know any of these movies were going to be so, you know, enduring. And the people were good. You know, it makes you, really makes you feel good to know that you did something that people enjoy for, you know, generations later. Like, you, you know, not people, their parents' day that these movies came out, and they, they're just as big of fans and just love it just as much as, you know, their parents did. And that's really something. Definitely. There's something magic about them. Oh, yeah, I guess so. I guess so. In the movie uh, Zero Boys, is it true that when you came onto that movie, they wanted your character to be uh, afraid and more helpless? And was it easy to kind of change it around back to, you know... No, the... I, I never heard that. No? Uh-uh. I, I, that's the first I've ever heard of that. No. <laughs> we're, we're, we're maybe just making stuff. I'll, I'll, need go, I'll need to go back to my research there. I think. Well, no, you know, you know what? Um, um, oh, that's the thing with on the internet. There's a lot of theory, and people put a lot of stuff up there that really, you know, they just made it up. Yeah. I see some things that really make me laugh. Um, and that's I don't, somebody somewhere along the line decided that that would be a cool thing to say, I guess. But no, that was never the case. In Night of the Comet. The line mm -hmm. "Daddy would have gotten his Uzis" was added in because the guns were sticking. Um, that might seem like a stupid question, but they're not really common over here in the UK. But we used firing real guns on the set. No, they taught. They took us out to a shooting range and trained us with real guns. Right. But um, yeah, that there were various. Whenever there was a real gun, like they couldn't get away with it. Some of those times, we're just holding plastic rubber things. If you really look at them, you go, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but. Um, they, whenever there's a real uh, gun on a set, they have to have a, a gun person that comes and brings the guns and handles them all. You're not allowed, unless you have to do it on camera, you don't load it yourself, and it's never a bullet, it's always blanks. And then um, for, for when, when something looks like it's being shot up, it's called a squib, just a little tiny gun thing of gunpowder, and um, it's remote control, and they pop off the gunpowder, so it looks like there was a bullet that, that hit there, but it wasn't. It was just a little pop of gunpowder that some guy standing off camera set off when he got the cue. So there's never any real bullets on the, on the set. Um, for the most part, there's a, a toy gun we're using. They try to make them look as good as possible with varying degrees of success. And then every so often, there has to be a real something or another. But uh, it's it's always staged. It's not it's not a real bullet ever. Magic of cinema. And it's really yeah, well it's controlled. And you know, as of today, with a, and I know that, I you know I I used to feel bad that people around the world thought of us as the wild wild west. And I gotta say, um, I don't blame anybody. Now it's it's horrific, horrific what's going on here. And so I don't, I, I don't like to, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm part of promoting that, you know, the little girl with the big gun and everything. Now I feel kind of like, wow, I hope I didn't, you know, I hope I don't have anything to do with being pro-gun in this country now because it's, you know, 50 people in Florida today. Yeah, yeah we've seen that. Absolutely terrible. So now I know why, you know, I, I mean, the, the ones that, I've, I haven't traveled very much, unfortunately, but the time that I, I was over, uh, I went, had to go to Paris for something, and 
you know, it's so wonderful to see other other countries, and I, I could I could tell what the um, the reputation of Americans was kind of, and I felt really bad about it. Um, and I was really glad to get home. When when you get off the plane, they say, "Welcome home," and it's very touching and everything. But I have to say, um, I saw the opinion that people had, and you know, it was kind of hard, kind of hard to to take, but. I don't blame, I, I can see where that comes from, obviously. Yeah, this is a okay. little off topic, but like in, yeah, in Scotland, I, we have like really severe strict gun control. Like you can't get a gun anywhere without being registered and being screened for tests. But well, that's just, that's just common sense, that, I think. That, that's, that's what we think. What Do you think there should be a change in the gun laws yes, in do. America, obviously? And what do you think yes, there I should do. be? Well, something more like what you have, because um, and I know this is off topic, and nobody really cares what actors think about politics and things. <laughs> um, no, but you know they don't want to know that. But between you and I, yeah, I, I really think something's got to serious has to happen here. The gun control, uh, the the NRA has got to we've got to say no to them. They people have got to stop taking their money. We gotta say no. There's just been too you many know. incidents recently. This is ridiculous. We are, you know, like I started out by saying, you know, I know that the rest of the world thinks it's like the wild, wild west here, and guess what? You know what? It is. Yeah. It's starting to be like that. It's terrible, and it needs to. We need to do something here. It's, it's a sad thing to think like yeah. that of your own country, but you, you really have no option now. And it's not that I'm not patriotic. It's not that I don't love the United States because I do, and that's why I feel so bad. You know, but it's such a vicious fight here that the minute you say something like that, other people who are pro-guns and, and all that stuff go nuts. So, I, I don't know. Um, we need some work here. <laughs> we do. Don't get me started on the Trump thing. I know that everyone thinks that's hilarious. <laughs> and it is. I guess it is, except for it's also tragic. Absolutely. I guess I'm better off talking about my movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, getting uh, back to uh, speaking about you yourself and Catherine Mary Stewart are attending Indie Popcorn this year, uh, which would be a dream convention uh, for any Night of the Comet fan. Have you yes. any plans to ever attend a, con- a convention in the UK? I would love it. I was campaigning so hard to come. I would love to come. I've never been. First of all, I have always wanted to come, and it would just be a thrill to come and and also do things for, for the movies, you know, like Night of the Comet and Shopping Mall and, and Zero Boys and all that. And it would be so much fun and get to meet people because I hear from people in the U.K. all the time. And so I kind of feel like I know I'm going to be thrilled when I get there. It's not like having been there. It's really not. I can't wait. So we're hoping that something happens. Last year we almost had um, something where Kathy and I were going to come over, but it didn't end up working out. So I'm heavily campaigning. The minute somebody says, would you, I'm going to say yes before they even get the whole question out of their mouth. <laughs> I say, yes. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be front of the queue if you, ever, if you ever make it over here to a convention. Oh, sure thanks. Thank you. That's all our questions there. So thank, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to us. We really appreciate oh, my, it. it was, I'm so glad we made it happen, too. When I realized I had missed your call, I went, oh, no, oh, no, they didn't leave me their number. <laughs> this can't happen again. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we got a chance to talk. Uh, okay, really, great. Really, really appreciate the time. Uh, oh, I appreciate this, too. I can't wait to hear it. And I hope to meet you very soon in person. 
Yeah. Right. Have a wonderful day, you guys. I'm glad we finally... I was not going to let this happen today. Call <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> me back. <laughs> we really appreciate it and hope you have a lovely day as well. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. So now that we're a celebrity podcast, we just want to say thanks to Kelly for taking the time to speak with us. It was actually really interesting. But hopefully what we're going to try and do is get more kind of interviews every now and again. But um, Kelly was the first. She'll always be the best. Yep. She <laughs> but I make myself sound like such a douche with that question. Man. Internet, internet research man brings up the whole amount of so much shite and you get something wrong. But anyway, it was, uh, yeah. it was good. Good fun. It was good. I enjoyed it. Where are we now then? Where are we now? Through the week, I heard that there's talk of a sequel to your favourite movie, He Never Died. Oh, wow, that'd be good. Uh, Henry Rollins has said that he's heard some things and would love to be a part of it, but not much did, else is known at the moment. Was not... Did, was it not, not talk about it being a TV show before? Is that right? Has it changed to a movie? I think now? you told me that. Aye. I don't know. Oh, man. Judging with your questioning Kelly Maroney, I think you just make <laughs> shit up. <laughs> I, I, just, I just read. I believe everyone I read in the internet. So that sounds good. He said that he won't believe it until he's actually filming on the set, but there are green oh, lights. Wait, sorry, so before we go any, any further forward, I legit forgot to say something when we were done the interview with Kelly Maroney, and I remember it in the car on the way home, and I was like, oh man. See, what I was going to say was um, that when I was watching the special features of Zero Boys, um, it's pointed out that uh, Frank Darabont was actually on the, the crew for um, Zero Boys. And as we know, if as you know who Frank Darabont is, he was the mastermind who created the screenplay for the Shawshank Redemption and created the screenplay for the Walking Dead series one. Oh, Legitimate <laughs> shoehorn in. And I was going to do it when we, were on the, uh, when we were on the phone here, but I completely forgot. I'm so glad you didn't. So that's it. Legit. Put that in there. Ugh. No, there's now going to be another fucking reference when I bring up the next news story. <laughs> uh, if you're into your games, horror gaming, E3 has just happened, and at E3, Hideo Kojima, who, if you're a gamer, you'll know from like the Metal Gear series, were meant to be releasing Silent Hills uh, last year or two years ago, and it came out with this really spooky trailer with Norman Reedus, and then it all fell through because he fell out with economy. Uh, but he's now back, and... The game's now called Death Stranding. It still has Norman Reedus. The trailer looks quite creepy. It's like naked Norman Reedus on the beach. So you'll be able to watch it and masturbate furiously. Well, I already have a couple yeah. of times. <laughs> Pause it up. <laughs> Maybe you can actually like, toggle the stick to look around his <laughs> naked butt cheeks. <laughs> uh, so that looks good. It's set for release, I think, later this year. But with Hideo Kojima in it, you can't really go wrong. So for horror gamers, that sounds quite cool. Uh, it's, it's been game. I've been playing. I managed to get uh, the original Resident Evil. It got like a kind of HD up, upgrade remaster on my Xbox One, and I've been playing that. And to begin, with, I thought this is gonna be so fucking brilliant. And then you know how just what you said about toggling the stick to look around about. Mm. No, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's, it's fixed. Uh, fixed viewpoints as the old game is. So you need to use the directional pad to move your character around. And uh, you, you know you try to use the two sticks, which you're so used to like 3D movement, you're following everything around. Yeah. Well, see if you do that, she just does a 180 turn. So you're trying to walk, you're <laughs> doing 180 turns, you're walking backwards and you're just getting with zombies everywhere. And then you do about 25 minutes worth of gameplay, you do all the wee stupid puzzles, pick everything out of the walls, put it in your, your chest, move on to the next part, and then you get killed by a fucking dog. That's it, the dogs. All dogs in games, I fucking hate. And then that's you back, way back, like 40 minutes back, and you're like, <laughs> you know what, I'm not even going to fucking play this again. So then you leave it for a day, come back the next time, and you think, wait, did, like, I thought I already had that key that's not open this door. No, have I done that part? Have I done this part? And then you, you forget where you are. So I don't yes. know how we used to play games back in the 90s, <laughs> man, or the early 2000s. It's the dogs. The dogs always made me shit myself. Save points. Fucking need to go and find a save point. What is that all about? I think games now save too quickly, though. 
I, I can't think of a game off the top of my head, but autosave, it's just, just fucking constantly autosaving now. Don't turn it off and autosaving. I, I, I can't. <laughs> I, I need to turn it off at some point. Stop fucking saving for two seconds. And it actually makes you feel that you've done more. Like, you, you talk to a man and it saves. And then you walk down the road and talk to another man and it saves. Like, <laughs> right, have I actually done much? That it's now wanted to save save points? Now, like Every action you make, the game can, uh, can remember what you've done, these new games. They say that, but I always end up the same fucking... Deed. <laughs> I always up the same halfway through the halfway through the game and then just give up and forget about it for a reason and then come back to it, forget all the buttons, forget what I've done and you just give up again. I don't think my wee brother gets quite pissed off at me because he likes games, he's like, oh, I'll play this. I'm like, no, because I'll play it for a week, stop, and then that'll be it. No matter how much I love the game, I'll never go back to it. It's just no, I mean, I like to be a gamer, but I can't just get in here. Um, did you see uh, the trailer for 31? You would have done, I think, we've shared it on our pages. I, uh, Rob Zombie's new movie, it's coming out. And um, uh, do you think it looks good? I, I think Rob Zombie's a love him or hate him guy. The Rob Zombie is Marmite, absolutely, definitely. Uh, I don't like Marmite, but I fucking love Rob Zombie. I don't like Marmite, but I, don't, <laughs> I no, I don't hate Rob Zombie. I, I like his music. I've seen him live a couple of times. In fact, one of the things that in my head cements our friendship was when we went to see him. Uh, the academy yep. and we get steaming on apple sellers because <laughs> it was only shot they had behind the bar um, I remember that four or five other folk couldn't go so I had to give a ticket to you <laughs> <laughs> but as I said like anyway so we had seen him uh, <laughs> I, was a, I was a secondary pity invite <laughs> but no his, his live music's uh, cracking and um, I, I, see, I've watched his movies I've watched The Devil's Rejects and I'm not sure if I enjoy it or not I've watched Halloween and I don't think it's a good remake because I think he takes the story and I don't like what he does with making Michael Myers a real person uh, and try to give him like a kind of fucked up background behind him and, and all that kind of stuff. I don't really like that. I, I think I've seen Devil's Rejects but I can't really remember but I, know I certainly hate the whole tooty fucking fruity scene. does my nothing. <laughs> um, so I don't hold out much hope for 31. That's but I will watch it and I'll, and I'll give this it... This is where it differs. I'll... Actually funded, well contributed to the Kickstarter for thirty one. So I got a director's chair, a signed poster. I've got a signed Blu-ray and script coming, and a sticker that says I fucking helped make thirty one or something. I don't know. It's not on my car anyway. So. <laughs> did um? Do you think Rob's will be sat in your chair, or do you think to just get them made and just saying? I probably just get them made. Oh. They're limited. Oh, it came broken. Oh. So did hmm. you ever chase it up and tell them to get that together? No, oh, no. It took fucking ages to come. I also have a signed House of a Thousand Corpses but to us I probably have more signed Rob Zombie shit in my room than <laughs> than anything else than I have all signed shit <laughs> in my room I actually bought a poster he used to sell his own stuff on eBay like signed posters that he, if he'd found lying about the house he would sign them and send them and his eBay username was something like Astro Zombie 666 <laughs> so there you go I got a rating for Rob Zombie on eBay 5 star great buyer <laughs> which is again uh, I like it I thought the trailer looked good Richard Brake is in it and he looks pretty fucking sinister. Is that the kind of main guy who's doing his makeup? Yeah. I, I mean, it does look kind of creepy, but I'll, I'll kind of wait and see. It's got it's... all the Rob Zombie kind of style to it, I think. Tropes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I think the concept is good. What I do like, though, is it is because he does get such a big deal about it, then there's probably a good chance that he'll make it to a cinematic release. Mm-hmm. And then I, I do enjoy watching movies in the cinema. And it's Rob Zombie, it's rated R, there's going to be fucking violence a plenty aye I mean I'll give it a go I mean I'm not I'm not against it I'm open to enjoy it but 
I, I, I don't expect it to become one of my favourite films, but I will watch it. That's the last time you got a pity ticket to a Rob Zombie <laughs> gig. Uh, the Conjuring 2 has just come out, and in India, a 65-year-old man was watching it, collapsed and died. Took to the hospital, they pronounced him dead. They told him, or they didn't tell him anything because he's dead, that they were going to send to a different hospital for a post-mortem. And the guy who took the body and the body has now gone missing. So the filmmakers behind the Conjuring Two are rubbing their hands at all this free fucking publicity. Or their their own created publicity. Yeah. Could it be? Because it is a, wee, a place in India, so you're not going to go chase that up. And you're not going to notice if one person goes missing in a country that's got like seventeen billion people in it. I think that's a bit harsh. <laughs> 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 uh, there's that been a few other things. There was uh, I think they were Chinese. A guy and a girl watched it, and the girl came in from like brushing her teeth and said, Oh, funny joke. And he's like, What are you talking about? And she said, You painted that cross in the, the mirror. And he went in, and it's like a really crudely, it looks like she just got Vaseline and drew a crucifix in the mirror. And he took a photo and uploaded it, like, Oh my god, he's never had this kind of paranormal experience again after watching The Conjuring 2. So it, it sounds like. So it, what's, it's that, it, what's that, like a genuine? Or is that. It, the photo, the photo is a genuine cross on a window, but it looks like she has just rubbed it with Vaseline. Yeah. But um, if you go upstairs up to the mirror and then that corridor, do it say see if you catch in the right light? It says turn around on it. Fucking <laughs> Lauren likes to prank me. And she just <laughs> wrote it in, like so you just catch the light, and you see it, and you're like, what? What? Because it looks like the mirror from the ring. Uh, do you turn around it. every time you nah, see it? Because you can see behind you in the mirror. Hmm. Eh. The. I think it's just all about a good marketing point. Not to speak ill of the dead, if this man is real, then I hope he's in a better place. <laughs> but I think it's just a really good marketing point to get folk to go watch it. I do want to go and see it. I want to go and see it as soon as possible. Um, I think I've got stuff on for the next like week, but hopefully I think we're maybe going to see it next Sunday, I think. Yeah. Hopefully. And, uh, and we'll tell you what we think yet. I like the, the first one. I like uh, the first one, I. But I then rewatched it. I got it on DVD like about fucking eight months later and rewatched it, and it was about half an hour into it before I realised that I had already seen it. <laughs> in fact, on Netflix, I just finished the Bates Motel season three. That took me a while to actually get on it. I fucking love it. And I like the mum. I like Norma in it, and she's in the conjuring, and she's a very good actress. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, I think it's just the world, the internet these days is just full of fucking spoilers everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And I think is that you get so far into Bates Motel I think that you get towards the theme of actual psycho I think I you kind of get it for the whole, from the start oh I just mean it normal's not really in it anymore well thanks Scott you fucking ruined it because <laughs> <laughs> she's still in it then the <laughs> season 3 <laughs> I don't know though I'm not, I didn't read any spoilers because I don't watch that show nah see season 3 is more it's now you're kind of confronted with the fucked up mentality of Norman mm-hmm. more and more whereas in the first series it's there's this hints of it Right. But it's more Norma's, like the fucking weird one. It's now kind of came full circle and Norman's the, like, fucking dressing up as a woman and all that. Yeah. No, don't, not to spoil it, it doesn't no, spoil I, it. No, I might it's, watch it, I don't know. There's just too many TV shows, I can never really catch up with them all, but... It's because you spend all your time watching The Fucking Walking I Dead. Know, over and Maybe over again, I do. I like spend it. more time watching decent stuff. Yeah. I watched uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 on Netflix. So did I, actually? And it's, uh, because I've seen a whole bunch of people talking about it, and I've seen, like... Obviously, I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I've seen the Leatherface. I think that's the prequel. And I've seen. I think it might be called Texas Chainsaw Massacre Three. With the one Is it the Next Generation one? It's a lassie. There's the remake in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's a lassie, which is going. And there's the kind of modern. There's a modern remake. But with two brothers, and one of them's got blonde hair, one of them's got. 
black here and it, when I watched it the first time it made me think of me and Stephen so that's shit because they're getting killed in front of each other and you're like oh man that would be so horrible like in Casino when Joe Pesci's forced to watch his brother getting his fucking head kicked in <laughs> I'm like that would be absolutely that would be the worst thing ever but that so we should ask this, Stephen yeah. how he feels about this and just compare so, them so I've seen all those Texas Chainsaws but I've never seen two and when I watched it it is absolutely bonkers like it's, it's chop top I don't know if it's good I don't think it's good I think it annoys me I oh, know it's good I like See, it do you know what it seemed to be there was a couple of scenes in it that you know how like obviously when you're filming well what I assume happens when, when, when you're filming you take several takes and these takes might obviously have uh, some form of improvisation in it uh, maybe just changing the, the lines about slightly it looks as if they've filmed all these different scenes had the actors do the lines in different kind of ways but never cut them down so that the actor just says the line once these actors have said these lines like over and over again in a, in a scene like when he's she's sitting on the bucket the wee water full of ice with the mountain dew in it and he's just like chainsawing through the middle and she's getting covered making herself soaking wet and getting her legs all soaking wet <laughs> and that and she's just sitting just screaming oh god oh god please no 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 good no good no god oh no oh god oh god no good no good which then seems to make him fancier uh, and try and like shove his chainsaw up her lady parts so, but <laughs> <laughs> it's just and then the guy uh, who's I believe is I think it's Bill Mosley who's in Chop Top that's it uh, I, I, well, I was going to get to that but he kept fucking rabbiting around scratching his head with a coat hanger and eating the bits and I was just like oh that's going to make me I've sick I've got him on Instagram he still he dressed up as Chop Top the other week there for a oh, convention and then Dennis Hopper when he's going to put fucking just chainsaw on him and bring it all down like, so Scott fucking, doesn't recommend you watch Texas no, Chainsaw uh, Massacre no watch it but don't expect to to enjoy it <laughs> to enjoy it yeah. I liked it man Case of the Somerton Man. On December the 1st, 1948, at 6.30am, the police were contacted after the body of a man was discovered on Somerton Beach near Glenelf, about 11 kilometres southwest of Adelaide in Australia. The man was found lying in the sand across from a children's home. He was lying back with his head resting against the seawall, with his legs extended and his feet crossed. It was believed that he had died while sleeping. An unlit cigarette was on the right collar of his coat. A search of his pockets revealed an unused second-class rail ticket from Adelaide to Henley Beach, a bus ticket from the city that could not be proved to have been used, a narrow aluminium American comb, a half-empty packet of juicy fruit chewing gum, an army club cigarette packet containing seven consistent cigarettes and a quarter full box of Brian and May matches. Witnesses who came forward said that on the evening of 30th November they had seen an individual resembling the dead man laying on his back in the same spot and position near the children's home where the corpse was later found. A couple who saw him at around 7pm noted they saw him extend his right arm to its fullest extent and then drop it limply. Another couple who saw him from 7.30 to 8pm, during which time the streetlights had come on, recounted that they did not see him move during the half hour in which he was in view, although they did have the impression that his position had changed. They did, however, comment between themselves that he must be dead as he was not reacting to the mosquitoes. They had thought it was more likely he was drunk or asleep and thus did not investigate further. One of the witnesses told police she observed a man looking down at the sleeping man from the top of the steps that led to the beach. Witnesses said the body was in the same position when the police viewed it. Another witness came forward ten years later in 1959 to say they'd seen a well-dressed man carrying an old man on his shoulders along Summerton Beach the night before the body was found. A bit like Weekend at Bernie's. 
<laughs> According to pathologist John Burton Cleland, a professor at the University of Adelaide, the man was of British appearance and thought to be aged around 40 to 45. He was noted to be in top physical condition. I think that, that'd be like the family guy joke, because in 1948, top physical condition is when guys have their trousers pulled up above their belly buttons, their stomachs pulled in and their <laughs> chest puffed out. <laughs> <laughs> His hands and nails showed no signs of a life of physical labour. He made a lot of reference to the man's feet. His big and little toes met in a wedge shape, like those of a dancer or those who wore pointed boots. He had pronounced high calf muscles like those of a ballet dancer, or a cyclist perhaps. He was dressed in a fashionable brown suit, shirt and tie, but no hat. This was unusual, 1948. I'd love to live in a time where it was unusual <laughs> not to wear a hat. All the labels in his clothes had been removed. The body was clean-shaven, carried no identification and had no wallet, which led police to believe that he'd committed suicide. His dental records did not match any living person. The autopsy report. The heart was normal size, and normal in every fucking way. Small vessels not common observed in the brain were easily discerned with fucking congestion. There was congestion of the fucking pharynx, and the gut was covered with whitening the superficial layers of the fucking mucosa with a patch of fucking ulcer in the middle of it. The stomach was deeply fucking congested. There was congestion in the second half of the fucking duodenum. There was blood mixed in with the food in the stomach. Both kidneys were fucking congested, and the fucking liver contained a great excess of fucking blood in his fucking vessels. The spleen was strikingly fucking large, about three times normal size. There was fucking destruction of the scene of the liver lobes, revealed under the micro. Acute gastritis, hemorrhage, extensive fucking congestion of the liver and spleen, not to mention the fucking congestion of the brain. The autopsy report also showed the man's last meal to be a pasty, eaten three to four hours before death. No foreign substances showed up through tests. Pathologist Dr Dwyer concluded that I'm quite convinced that death could not be natural. The poison that would suggest is a fucking barbiturate or a fucking soluble hypnotic. Poisoning remained a prime suspicion. The pasty was not deemed the source. The coroner was unable to determine the cause of death, the man's identity, or if the man the witnesses seen moving was the same man as the corpse. Whenever you say pasty, I cannot stop thinking about the uh, the Harry Potter thing. There's the scene when the train when they go, and I can't remember the girl's Cho Chang. Cho Chang is that her actor's name or the real name? That's that's the uh, uh, the character's, the character's name. name. And she comes down and asks for a two pumpkin pasties, please. And because it's Scottish, it just stands out a mile. But see if you go on YouTube, somebody's changed the audio, and she comes down and goes, ah, two pumpkin pasties, please. <laughs> I actually, went, I actually went to school with that last night and I think she's a very good actress. So. Oh, aye, she did. <laughs> On January 14th, 1949, staff at Adelaide Railway Station discovered a brown suitcase with its label removed, which had been checked into the station cloakroom after 11am on 30th of November 1948. It was believed that the suitcase was owned by a dead beach dweller. In the case were a bunch of pants, a dressing gown and slippers, a pair of trousers, but no spare socks. Also in the case was an electrician's screwdriver, a table knife cut down into some sort of sharp, sharp shank, a pair of scissors with sharpened points, a small square of zinc thought to have been used as a protective sheath for the knife and scissors, and a stenciling brush as used by third officers on merchant ships for stenciling cargo. Some dry cleaning slips were found, and the name Keen appeared on the clothing, though this name did not prove, provide any leads in the case. The dressing gown possessed stitching that could only have been made in the USA at that time, suggesting the man had been in the US or bought the coat from someone who had been. Another useless lead. Police investigators could narrow down which train he most likely arrived on, but could not ascertain why he did not catch the 1050 train to Henley Beach for which he had purchased a ticket. An inquest held in June 1949 raised the notion that the man's shoes were freshly polished, not consistent with someone wandering around Somerton Beach. This would go with the witness statement that the man was dumped on his final resting place. They also found a rolled up piece of paper in a hidden pocket compartment with the words, to man should, printed on it. 
This is translated from Persian as meaning ended or finished, and this particular print is from the last page of a Persian poet named Omar Khayyam from his book Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. The theme of the poem is that one should live life to the full and have no regrets when it ends. This followed the idea of suicide. An Australia-wide search for the book was put out and it was eventually located. A man who was reported under a pseudonym because the cop at that time liked to do that for some reason said he found the book in the back of a car. Bad record-keeping led to differing reports of the timeline, some suggesting it was found just after the body, others suggesting it was found up to two weeks before the man was discovered. Assuming the man died the day after he arrived at the station and checked in his suitcase, finding the book two weeks before suggests the man had been in Adelaide before, or perhaps someone else had ripped the page out and placed it in his pocket. That, uh, that suggestion seems straightforward, right? But when I was doing this research, that wasn't included in any any of the readings that done it, they just assumed that he must have been there before to have that page from that book and then for the book to be in Adelaide when I would think anybody, if somebody's killed him, they mm-hmm. could easily have had that book, tore the page out weeks before it and then stuffed it in his pocket after they killed him. It makes sense. You should be a policeman. I should. <laughs> the book contained indentations of which writings were able to be trans- uh, transcribed. What was uncovered was another strange arm to this tale. A code reading on the first line, WR... G-O-A-B-A-B-D On the second line M-L-I-A-O-I L-I-A That's the start of my name <laughs> Well it's But then also, and then the M at the start is like It's like your name But just kind of moved around a bit Oi Liam <laughs> But then there's also a scored <laughs> line through it So that's um, So well, that's, that's, that's That one's been Solved right? Yeah solved right, So we solved it So third line W-T-B-I-M-P A-N-E-T-P on the fourth line, M L I A, that's my name around about again. B O A I A Q C. And in the fifth line, I T T M T S A M S T G A B. Codebreakers were called in to decipher the code, but they didn't ask me, so that's why it's still unsolved. But no answer was reached. In 1978, ABC TV journalist Stuart Littlemore had the Department of Defence cryptographers analysed the handwriting, but again, it was concluded impossible to provide a satisfactory answer. There's some thought of just people trying to break the code and they had put some words together for the fifth line and the beginnings of it is I-T-T-M-T-S-A-M-S and I can't remember what the I-T-T was, but they put the M-T-S-A-M-S as move to Somerton, Adelaide, Main Street, was the street that was behind the, the beach, um, but they couldn't ascertain whether that was the case or not. They had thought that maybe like it was some kind of personal memory, um, similar to how Darren Brown says that you should you could remember loads of different things by just taking memorable information yeah. or, or the first letter of each word and and putting a story together in your head that doesn't really doesn't tell you the sentence, but you can remember it in your head yeah, that story. That. So that, I mean, if that's the case, then what these codes actually mean will never be worked out. Also in the transcribed writings from the book, a local telephone number was written belonging to Jessica Thompson, who lived 400 metres from where the man died. When she was interviewed by police, Thompson said she did not know the dead man and she did not know why the dead man would have her phone number and chose to visit her suburb on the night of his death. However, she also reported that sometime in late 1948, an unidentified man had attempted to visit her and asked her next-door neighbour about her. In his book in the case, Jerry Feltis stated that when he interviewed Thompson in 2002, he found that she was either being evasive or she just did not wish to talk about it. Feltis believed Thompson knew the Somerton man's identity. Thompson's daughter Kate, in a television interview in 2014, also said that she believed her mother knew the dead man. 
It was suggested that the man's identity was that of Alf Boxall, with whom Jessica was assumed to be having or having had an affair. Jessica had given Alf a copy of the Rubaiyat. However, Alf was eventually tracked down to Sydney and still held his copy of the book, back page still intact. Theories of spies and espionage were developed, but obviously, whenever these theories were investigated, the government's and army's rubbish theories and stayed silent. Over the years since the discovery, many positive identifications have been made. None can be considered true as no evidence links any of the identifications together. The body was laid to rest in Adelaide's West Terms Cemetery in a service led and attended by the Salvation Army. The South Australian Grandstand Bookmakers Association paid for the service to save the man from a pauper's burial. The grave contains multiple burials because of expired leases, with the Somerton man the most recent. Years after the burial, flowers began appearing in the grave. The police questioned a woman seen leaving the cemetery, but she claimed she knew nothing of the man. Who was this man? Was he murdered? Did he commit suicide? I guess we'll never know. Due to bad record keeping, pseudonyms of witnesses and linked people, no firm records remain. The book was lost in the 1950s. In 1986, the Somerton man's suitcase and contents were destroyed as they were no longer required, and by 2009, all key linked people had died. This is a truly cold case. It's um, if you if you want to go and do some of your own research and read up on this, there's a lot more about um, Jessica Thompson and Alf Boxall and Jessica Thompson's um, husband. The timelines is all messed up because at the time her husband was going through a divorce. So she said she was married in 1948, but she wasn't actually married to him until 1953. Um, so the, and then when they were speaking to police, they had said things like, uh, I don't want my reputation to be tarnished with this case, so please change my name or don't say this or don't say that. So they agreed and the records are just all backwards and all over the place because nothing's... When you look back at it like 40 years later, it just makes no sense. Oh, yeah. now like, what, what is that, 48, 50, that's like 60, 66 years later, 68 years later. You're looking at these records and be like, this doesn't make sense. These people don't exist because they're all fake names and everything. And it's just, you know, complete lackadaisical record keeping. I guess maybe they thought it would be solvable back then and they just thought it would be... Or maybe they just didn't even care. I think I've solved it. Ah, so it's just solved it, isn't it? Was it was a yeti. <laughs> yeah, a yeti. Just the same as last week. It was the yeti. It was the yeti. Yeah. I actually found that really interesting. I'd never, I'd never yeah. heard of that. It was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and it's weird now that because like the the all the all the evidence other than what's written down just now, uh, and the kind of codes people are still trying to break these codes. There's um there was one recently uh, in two thousand fourteen I believe that they maybe tried to the code breakers had transcribed different ways in which the letters had been written. I think because I mean obviously code mm-hmm. breaks mental like proper codes are mental and it's not about the letters it's about how it's written. Um, so I don't know if they're getting close to figuring it out, but. I would. I'm going to go along the lines and suggest that it's something government aid conspiracy. Yeah. Like it's. It's always the fucking government. He's a. He was a some sort of spy. And he was poisoned to death. I mean, look at the guy, the the Russian guy that was poisoned in mm-hmm. the UK like a couple of years ago. Oh spy. shit! What was that? I can't remember his name. I just remember he's, he's the baldy picture of him yeah, in the yeah. hospital bed. And then. Um, so it's not the government. It's the fucking Russians. Fucking Russians, man. The yetis. If you enjoyed the episode, enjoyed our levelling up with celebrity interviews, let us know. Get us in touch at the usual places. Yep, you can get us uh, if you want to email us and tell us like a big long-winded story about how brilliant you think we are, uh, or any movies you think we should watch, or any conspiracies we should get in touch with. Um, then you should email us at scottandleamversuseevil at hotmail.com. If you want to join us on Facebook, the chat on there, we've got a page that we update 
weekly, uh, it's Scotland Liam vs Evil, or we've got a group that has a lot more interaction in it, and that's a group which is also called Scotland Liam vs Evil, it's a public group, so just request to join it and we'll approve you, if we like you. Uh, you're always going to get approved. <laughs> you'll always be approved. <laughs> uh, and you can also get us on Twitter, um, and that's at Scotland Liam vs. Cheers. Stay frosty. <laughs> no.